The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Tuesday edition PFTPM mandatory minicamps popping up throughout the league. Nine of them in all. I got four topics I'm going to go over just like yesterday. Bringing some structure to the PFTPM podcast. Four topics and then your questions. I'm going to start with this Jets GM search. We were led to believe, and I don't know why we were led to believe this. I think we allowed ourselves to believe this. That the universe of potential candidates to ultimately replace Mike McCagnan fired three weeks ago tomorrow, was limited to four, was limited to the four who have interviewed, and the Jets were going to hire one of them. And the thinking has been the Jets will hire Joe Douglas, the Eagles' director of player personnel, and that still may be the case. Some comments today from... Adam Gase, the coach of the Jets, maybe throwing people off the trail, maybe suggesting that the door is going to be kicked open for more potential candidates for the gig. Gase said Tuesday that he hopes that someone will be hired in the near future, but that the team is going to take however long it takes to get the right guy. And Gase didn't rule out other candidates being brought in as part of this search that has had four guys interviewed. Douglas... Scott Fitterer of the Seahawks, Terry Fontenot of the Saints, and Champ Kelly of the Bears. Now again, four candidates. Is that really a search that reflects an effort to find the best available candidate? What is the parameter? What is the standard? Remember, Christopher Johnson, the CEO of the team, said he wants a great strategic thinker. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how they came to the fore, and I don't know where they go from here. But the thinking has been and continues to be it'll be Joe Douglas, and I think the smart move continues to be hire someone who is connected to Adam Gase so that GM doesn't show up day one with an agenda, whether he admits it or not, to eventually have his own head coach, because that's what every... GM wants his own head coach. Every coach wants his own quarterback. Every GM wants his own coach. That's just how it goes. We'll see how that plays out. But I I kind of expected something to happen this week, and it still can. It's only Tuesday. Maybe they want to get through the mandatory minicamp, and then they'll, they'll make some decisions after that. But Douglas remains the favorite, according to all reports and indications, I guess there's still a chance that Christopher Johnson decides to take this in a different direction. And don't rule out the influence of Woody Johnson, the owner of the team, even though he's out of the picture for now, even though he's in the UK serving as ambassador for now. He may have a voice in what ultimately happens. And there's a nagging, lingering sense that at the end of the day, when Johnson returns, whenever that may be, there's a chance everybody gets fired 
and Woody Johnson starts over with a new GM and a new head coach. Not a critical absence right now, but it will be very instructive on where the Jets go from here in the short term. And ultimately, as Gay said a couple of weeks ago, all the fans care about is winning games. If they win games, all of this stuff in the offseason, this perception slash reality of dysfunction will be forgotten. The Jets have their mandatory minicamp. To no surprise, running back Le'Veon Bell is there. There are three significant names missing from the nine current mandatory minicamps. Two in Detroit, Darius Slay, Damon Harrison, the cornerback and defensive tackle, respectively. They both apparently want new deals. In Washington, Trent Williams is staying away. The belief is it's contractual with him, although there has been some scuttlebutt that he's not happy with how the team handled the tumor that he had last year. And the fact that he's not at the mandatory minicamp implies that maybe he hasn't been there for the OTAs, just no one really noticed he wasn't there for the OTAs. You wouldn't show up for the OTAs and then not show up for the mandatory minicamp. Although I will say this, from a financial sacrifice standpoint, for some guys, it's a lot cheaper to show up for the off-season program and not the mandatory minicamp than to show up for the mandatory minicamp and not the off-season program. Now, Trent Williams does not have a workout bonus. His only workout bonus under the current contract was 2015, 250000 Damon Harrison has a $250,000 workout bonus. So you can either give up 250000 by not showing up for the voluntary phase of the off-season program or 88000 and change skipping the mandatory minicamp. If you want to make a statement, skipping the mandatory minicamp is the way to do it. That's the way to get people's attention because fewer people do that. And even though you have to show up for more work to get your workout bonus, it is, for guys that have workout bonuses, typically cheaper to skip the mandatory minicamp, which is exactly what Harrison is doing, but he skipped the voluntary workout as well. If you give up the 250 k missing the voluntary offseason program, what's another 88000 if what you're trying to do is get yourself a contract? It's really not that expensive. Now, in-season, preseason rather, training camp absence, I think it's like forty grand a day. But the problem is, mandatory minicamp is very defined. It's three days. That's it. Three days, 88000 you make your point. If you start skipping days of training camp, racking up forty grand a day, where does it end? It gets expensive very quickly. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger to the tune of forty grand a day. How do you save face there? Slay also has a $250,000 workout bonus that he's sacrificed. So, again, what's another eighty-eight? It's nothing. So those are the three so far. Nine mandatory minicamps. That means 23 more mandatory minicamps to come. Most of them will be next week. Most of the teams have the mandatory minicamp as the final act of the offseason program. And a lot of teams, for the final day of the mandatory minicamp, they just give them the day off. Which, I, I look, I've got no problem with that. I just don't understand how coaches can can pine for more time to work with their players 
and then give up one of the workdays. Although maybe you reconcile it by saying they always like giving them that last day so they feel like they're getting a carrot. So give them extra time overall. They're still going to give up that last day. They're still going to give the the players what feels like a break. Last day off or we're going to go play paintball or do they still do paintball, laser tag? They do laser tag. Team building exercises. Top golf is popular now. The Steelers did that yesterday. Go to a movie. Do whatever. Get away from work for a day. It just, I, I just think you always build that in just for the psychological benefit, no matter how long or short your off-season program is. We had a story today about hard knocks. My internet son, his news hound, literally, Leroy, reported yesterday that he's hearing that the Lions are the team that's going to be on hard knocks. I started poking around about it. It became clear to me. Now, I'm not saying that Leroy is wrong. God forbid I get into it with a dog. But I am saying that if it is the Lions, they don't know that it's them. It's news to them. And there's a certain degree of consternation in Detroit that it may be them. They don't really want it to be them. And to take it one step farther, whatever it's going to be, they want to know. Because they have planning that needs to be done. So, the NFL has got planning to do too. Where are the cameras going to be? Where will the hotel rooms be purchased for the crew? It's a decent sized crew. We're a month and a couple of weeks away from the start of training camp. When the Arizona Cardinals did that goofy, clunky teaser tweet today, so we have some news. I thought, hey, they're doing hard knocks. And I stand by what I said. You know, I hey, I love social media because they'll criticize you for anything. But and I hey hey, you know what? I'm I'm the original social media. I've been criticizing people for 20 years, but I try to do it in a measured way when it's deserved. So we have some news, and then 15, 20 minutes later, you tweet that Carson Palmer is going to be added to the Ring of Honor. That's not something you tease. That's just something you you just do it. You announce it. You don't make an announcement. It's like the, the office. Stay tuned for an important announcement about your paychecks. Your paychecks will be issued in the usual amount on the usual day. Just tell us. Carson Palmer's entering the Ring of Honor. Tell us. And you know what? The, the fact that... This is going to sound crass, but what the hell. The fact that Carson Palmer is entering the Cardinals' Ring of Honor tells us that... Uh, they don't have many guys in the Ring of Honor. Right? Carson Palmer didn't play there for very long. If Carson Palmer is making it to the Ring of Honor from this current crop of Cardinals, I mean, Larry Fitzgerald's a given. Patrick Peterson's a given. David Johnson may have already done enough if Carson Palmer did enough. There's 39 members of the Ring of Honor. Charles Bidwell, Charlie Trippy, Jimmy Conzelman. No, 13 members of the Ring of Honor. Kurt Warner will be inducted September 8. 
I don't know why the slideshow has 39 pages. If there's only 13 members of the Ring of Honor, maybe they want to maximize the clicks. Charles Bidwell, Charlie Trippy, Jimmy Conzelman, Pat Tillman, Larry Wilson, Aeneas Williams. Those all make sense. Oh, well, buy this, uh, buy this Cardinals gear, and then I gotta wait. Patty Driscoll, John Patty Driscoll, Dan Deardorff, not a surprise. Some of these are duplicates. Safety Larry Wilson, fullback Ernie Nevers, Dick Night Train Lane. If you play Madden, you're familiar with Night Train Lane. Yeah, there's a lot of th- this is this is a sneaky, sneaky, effective uh, click harvest here, Cardinals, because I'm clicking through. Kurt Warner, as I mentioned, that I'm I'm for a Ollie Matson. I think we're getting more. Oh, single game tickets now available. Click here. No. Yeah, how do they turn 13 into 39? It's just different pictures of the same guys. Yeah, there's Aeneas Williams. Yeah, there's Jimmy Conzelman. Yeah, there's Night Train Lane. Oh, Roger Worley. He was a, a mainstay back in the 70s, number 22. Did I mention Ernie Nevers? Another picture of Ernie Nevers. Running back Marshall Goldberg. This team's been around a long, long time. A long time. Like over 80 years. I assume Jim Hart. Is Jim Hart not in it? If if Carson Palmer's in it and Jim Hart isn't, I demand a recount. Let's see. Ernie Nevers again. A lot of pictures of Ernie Nevers. Larry Wilson. We already talked about him. I know we talked about... That's it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jim Hart's not in the Ring of Honor? How can that be? Let me double check this. Is Jim Hart in... The Cardinals ring of honor. Let's see. Oh, he's joining the Cardinals ring of honor. I guess the, I wonder. He's joining it. When did he join it? He's finally in. I guess he wasn't in that. Click. They could have. They could have harvested more clicks. Thirty-nine. They take thirteen members and they turn it into thirty-nine and they leave out Jim Hart. Well, Jim Hart's in, and Carson Palmer's in, and Kurt Warner's in, and Ollie Matson's in. And Patty Driscoll's in. And Night Train Lane's in. I don't I still don't know. There's gonna be a lot of guys from this current team in. Anyway, I'm wasting a lot of time here. The point is hard knocks. Now, when I mentioned that the Cardinals, I speculated, you know, it won't surprise me if the Cardinals have put their hand up in the air and said, We'll do hard knocks. And I had people on Twitter say that the Cardinals aren't eligible. And there's a misconception there. The formula that determines who can be forced to do it, that doesn't mean the other teams can't do it. The other teams don't want to do it. See, nobody wants to do it. It's an unpleasant and undesirable assignment. Right? It's the short straw. So they had to come up with a formula for determining a subset of all teams that will be available to whoever makes the decision as to who can be forced to do it. I mean, what they should do is come up with a formula that will identify only one team every year. And then that's the team that's going to do it. Period. One or two teams. Flip a coin. I don't know. Do something. Have a Madden tournament among the players to see who gets to not do it. That's what's so weird about this. People don't want to do it. It is an undesirable gig. So, Leroy has yet to be debunked. Everybody wants the Raiders at this point of the five teams that are eligible to be compelled to do it. 
And I don't know if I could pick any team who I'd want. I'd kind of like the Steelers any year because St. Vincent College in Latrobe is an excellent venue, and I think it would come across well. And this year, I want to see that vibe in training camp as the Steelers take on an us-against-the-world mentality. I'd kind of like that. I'd be interested to see what's going on in New England. And that's the one thing about Detroit, if it is Detroit. Sims pointed this out today on PFT Live. It's the closest thing to having the Patriots. It's Patriots light. But the, but the Lions don't want it. Nobody wants it. If someone wanted it, we would already know who it's going to be. That's what's so weird. No one wants it. And I think there's a chance that no one's going to do it. I think that if you're setting odds on who's going to be the hard knocks team, you have to have no one in there somewhere. Let's say no one would be plus 450. No one. Raiders plus 250. Lions plus... 300, Washington plus 350, 49ers plus 1,000. They seem to be dead set against and There's already been a report they're not doing. Giants plus 450, no one. What did I say? Plus 450? Not that those odds are real, but that's what I, I would I would put no one. And then Field would have to be in there as well. Field would be plus 350. Because I still think there's a chance that someone's going to get the bright idea somewhere that we should do hard knocks. That we can control the message better than the Browns did last year. That we wouldn't be dumb enough to let the producers finagle us into playing that Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley scene to the masses. To just let the world see how dysfunctional we are. There's been a lot of talk in the past day about the Buffalo Bills and their future in western New York. And... The statement from Mark Pollen Cares, and I, I may, Pollen Cars, Pollen Cares, I may be butchering his last name. If I say it every different way that I think it possibly can be, Pollen Cares, Pollen Cars, I don't know how many other pronunciations I can put out there, but he issued a statement yesterday. He's the Erie County executive who is the point person when it comes to trying to negotiate upgrades to. New Era Field, formerly known as Ralph Wilson Stadium. Now, the politicians, the people who have the fingers on the public purse strings, they want the bills to stay at New Era Field with renovations, upgrades, improvements, etc. The bills just want a new stadium. And the commissioner wants the bills to have a new stadium, which tells me that Bill's ownership is saying to the commissioner, hey, we want a new stadium. Can you please get behind that publicly? We want a new stadium. We don't want the stadium to continue to be renovated and refurbished. It's an old stadium, and we want a new stadium. Poland Cares, Poland Cars, Polon Cares, Salon Paz, he said this yesterday. We mentioned this on PFT Live, but I want to talk about it a little bit more here. I got a little more freedom here. Got more time to let this breathe. Of Goodell's comments that he believes that a new stadium is necessary to make the franchise competitive and stable. Goodell's comments are the same thing he said for years now. It should be noted as commissioner, he is beholden to a group of 32 
very wealthy team owners, including those with teams in many larger markets with very different stadium situations in their communities than the Bills have here in Buffalo. Goodell's interest lies not with our community, but with the owners that employ him and the highest level of profit he can deliver. Many of these owners have placed heavy demands on their fan base and community as well, demands that could not be met in our smaller market. However, members of Bills Nation will at least be relieved to hear that Commissioner Goodell wants the Bills to be successful and competitive here in Buffalo. Okay. Look, you read between the lines. The people in Buffalo, the powers that be, the politicians know they got an uphill challenge here. Small market isn't going to be able to put the money together. And small market isn't going to be viable for a significant private investment because if you're going to spend significant private money to build a stadium, you're going to build that stadium somewhere else where you're going to get a better return. This is just a reality of playing in a smaller market. It's a greater challenge to keep the team in a smaller market than it is to keep the team in a larger market. And that was one of my big takeaways when the NFL approved within roughly a year the relocation of the Rams to L.A., the Chargers to L.A., and the Raiders to Las Vegas. Moving forward, I was convinced that there will be a reshuffling of teams from smaller markets to larger markets. And it's going to be tied to stadiums. Buffalo, Jacksonville, I hate naming names. Buffalo, Jacksonville, maybe Cincinnati at some point. When they decide it's time for a new stadium there. Can't rule that out. Owners are going to go where the money and the people are. I've used that example in the past. The old Sam Kinison bit where he yelled at the people who were starving. The problem is they don't live where the food is, and he'd yell that, scream that. These teams are going to go where the money is. It's a for-profit enterprise. Poland Cares hints at a lot of that in his comments. The commissioner works for wealthy people who want to become more wealthy. They want the franchises to be in places that will make them more wealthy, not less wealthy. There are not many owners who are going to say, you know, I could make a lot more money if I move the team to another city, but I'm going to leave it where it is because I really care about the fans here. Baloney. And I'm mentioning this again today because of something that kind of popped into my brain when we were talking about legalized gambling in Illinois and the fact that Soldier Field has the green light to have gambling in the venue, inside Soldier Field, in-game betting in real time for the Chicago Bears. I have been saying for the past 7 to 10 years that at some point, I could see two teams in Chicago under this theory of putting people where or putting stadiums where the money and the people are. You already have a stadium that's built in Chicago. You're going to have two teams sharing a stadium in L.A., two teams sharing a stadium in New York, New Jersey. Why not two teams sharing a stadium in Chicago? There aren't many other cities that could even be in the discussion. Arguably, there are no other cities that could be in the discussion. But an NFC team and an AFC team, both in Chicago. And you don't have to pay a dime for the stadium. The stadium is there, and the revenue streams are there. And the folks in Chicago 
can attend an open-air casino 20 times a year. Preseason, regular season games. You want to go to a, a, a stadium and you want to bet on football as it unfolds on your smartphone? Is it a run? Is it a pass? Is it, will it be a touchdown? Will they stop them here? No lag, no latency, all real-time immediate betting. That's going to be an attraction. That's going to be a factor. If you're the Buffalo Bills and you're trying to figure out where the hell are we going to go, what are we going to do? Now, I don't know how I feel about dropping a team into a city that has a fan base that is very loyal and dedicated to the Bears. That would be a challenge. But it's a factor. It's a factor. And you know what? When it's time for the Bears to get a new stadium and not just renovate Soldier Field, remember they did that renovation 20 years ago where they spent a season playing at the University of Illinois and they they basically dropped a big spaceship onto Soldier Field? Whenever it's time for the Bears to get a new stadium, bringing a team to Chicago could be the way to get it done. Because... Every cost gets cut in half, and every potential revenue stream gets doubled if you're going to have two teams. So I'm not I'm not reporting. I'm not predicting. I'm just spitballing here. You get a little window inside of my brain, whether you like it or not, if you listen to the PFTPM podcast. I would look at Chicago as a place that could end up with a second team. And... You know, over the period of decades, depending upon how population rises and falls, increases, decreases, these stadiums are already built. They're already built. State-of-the-art stadium. What about two teams in Dallas? I'm just throwing it out there. There's enough of an appetite for football in Texas, instead of moving a team to San Antonio, just put a second team in Dallas. Second team in Houston. Not four teams in Texas, but I don't know. Texas loves their football. What about a second team in Miami? Then, you know, Miami, you would think, would be a place to be in Miami. They just have a hard time with the Dolphins. I just think that we have to... We have to take into account, number one, the Jets and the Giants have been doing it for decades. Number two, the Chargers and the Rams have gotten welded together in L.A. And the Raiders and the Chargers were trying to weld together in Carson. Remember, that was the original deal. And the the relocation committee was supporting Chargers-Raiders in Carson until it was time to do the presentations. And it was like a home movie versus a, a, a Star Wars film. Difference between the quality and the production and the presentation, and the Inglewood Project won, and the Chargers got ripped away from the Raiders and put in that. What about a second team in Las Vegas, if Las Vegas ends up being ridiculously successful? Because it's a a, a destination. Las Vegas doesn't have the population, but what about the transient population? What about the people who, who will come to Vegas for the games? For now, Chicago. And it may be 20 years before it happens, but just keep that in mind, especially with legalized wagering in stadium at Soldier Field. I could see a second team in Chicago. And maybe it will be the Buffalo Bills. 
Don't take a chance of being stranded. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and get your battery tested. It's free of charge and one of the many services available. If your battery needs to be replaced, the professional parts people will help you find the exact battery for your car or truck. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We sang those stupid-ass stadium songs on PFT Live today. It was fun and it was horrible. The, the clips available at profootballtalk.com. All right, I'm going to answer some of your questions before we wrap things up. Let me find the tweet. I used a Goodfellas gif again. Goodfellas is just such an awesome movie. Awesome movie. Let's see what we got here. Here we go. Where are we? Where are we? Scrolling down. A lot of stories today. A lot of content on PFT. Here it is. It's Jimmy the Gent telling Henry Hill... Never rat on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. Good advice, I guess. I guess if, if you're going to be in the mafia, good advice. I'm still reading that mafia book. It's just amazing to me, that lifestyle. Not, not that I endorse it. Not, not that I recommend it. You, you either end up dead or in jail. It's, not many people are retiring from the mafia. So uh, anyway, let's answer your questions. A lot of questions today relative to yesterday. PFT, PM, Posse, politicking for some guests. Hey, man, I'll figure out who's going to be on the show. Viking memes. How many times has Paul Allen called you regarding slander against Kirk Cousins? I don't commit slander against Kirk Cousins. As Adam West responds, it's not slander if it's true. And I try to be very basic and fair and measured in my criticism of Kirk Cousins. Guy's got to deliver in prime time. Guy's got to win big games. Guy's got to justify his salary. He's got $28 million per year on a three-year contract. It's on him to show that he's earning it. Now, he's no longer the highest-paid player in football. He's been superseded by Matt Ryan, then Aaron Rodgers, then Russell Wilson. But goes with the territory. And look, I understand that these guys are human beings. I understand that. But what's the cliche from Spider-Man, to whom much is given, much is expected? These guys are the quarterbacks. These guys are the ones who are out there in the middle of that crucible with 70,000 people booing them when they're on the road or sometimes when they're at home. Chris Sims says, there's nothing you can do that will embarrass me because I've been booed by 70,000 people. You've got to have that swagger you've got to have that moxie you've got to have that ability to perform under adverse conditions and you better have thick skin that that was the whole thing that astounded me about Derek Carr blocking us last week on Twitter you got to have thicker skin than that if you're going to make it as an NFL quarterback and it feeds into the theory the mindset the idea that Carr's never going to make it with John Gruden as his coach because you're going to have thick skin to survive John Gruden or you're not going to survive John Gruden Sports radio listener at Toddster1224. Any update on Kyle Rudolph's extension? Any possibility he will be traded to my Patriots? You know, when I first saw the news that Austin Safarian Jenkins had been cut by the Patriots, I thought they just decided this guy's a bum and we're going to get somebody else. Safarian Jenkins needs a month due to personal reasons, and he may come back. But, hey, whatever the Patriots decide in the interim, maybe they decide, and maybe it is Kyle Rudolph that ends up there. They trade for somebody else. I don't know, but they need help. They definitely need help.
At Stephen A, not that Stephen A, different Stephen A. What are the three most important characteristics for a lawyer? I love rules in the black and white, also enforcing rules or loopholes, and I get a thrill out of winning with facts in my words. Are those three in there? Here are the three most important characteristics for a lawyer. Just seat of the pants. First of all, you got to be able to speak seat of the pants. You got to be able to speak extemporaneously, and you got to be able to do it in a persuasive way. You got to be able to sell what you're saying. You got to believe what you're saying. Even if deep down you don't believe it. You got to convince yourself you believe it because you're never going to convince anyone else to believe it if you don't believe it. And the best lawyers can take either side of a case and argue them equally passionately because they understand this isn't about what I believe. This isn't about my core life beliefs. This is about representing my client. So I have to believe what my client believes. I have to want what my client wants and I have to communicate in a persuasive way aimed at getting others to agree that what my client wants is what my client should get. So, number one, you have to be able to, to speak off the cuff extemporaneously, and you better be able to pull something out of your hat or other orifice when need be. When you're in the middle of that unscripted moment where the judge is just wearing you out and he's asking you a tough question and you better come up with something, you better be able to come up with something. Now, number two, diligence. You got to do your work. You got to know your case. You got to know your facts. You got to read your documents. When they send you, when you ask for 20 different categories of material, of documents, files, whatever, and they send you 5,000 pages, and that's a very common game. They'll send you 5,000 pages, and the stuff that matters will be hidden in there like a handful of needles in a giant haystack. You've got to have the diligence, or you have to have somebody working for you who has the diligence to go through and put eyes on every page, every page, every page, every page. It is drudgery, and you have to be focused during that drudgery. You can't allow yourself to slip, and if you feel like you're starting to slip, I've done this, where you're flipping page, flipping page, looking, looking, and I feel like, mm, you know what, the last five minutes, I really haven't been focused take 150 pages back and do it again because you never know and that's the attitude you have to have as you're doing your diligence as you're exercising that persistence you never know when you're going to find that one piece of paper that's going to change everything and I think back to Deflategate remember when Ted Wells wanted to question one of the guys, was it John Yastrzemski, McNally and Yastrzemski, were those the two names? I don't want to defame anybody. I think those were the two names. The employees who Ted Wells believed were the ones who carried out the, the, the football deflation scheme. They had failed. Wells people had failed to spot some critical text message exchanges the first time they interviewed these folks, so they wanted a second bite at the apple. No, you got you got to do your homework. You got to read that stuff. Oh, sorry, we missed it. Can we talk to them again? We didn't exercise the appropriate diligence in preparing for this interview. Can we can we get a do over, please? Hell no. In, in a real piece of litigation, if you've questioned my client for eight hours, and then 
three weeks later, you send me a letter saying, oh, you know what? We hadn't noticed this one piece of paper that you had given to us from the uh, the documents that you produced. Um, can, can you make your witness, your client available again to be grilled for another four hours on this piece? Hell no. Hell no. And you know what? If you take that to court, you're going to win it. Diligence. Ability to speak extemporaneously and diligence. You wanted three important characteristics. Ultimately, you got to be curious. Naturally curious. Because you can harness that natural curiosity to get to the core of whatever it is that you're trying to figure out. Because sometimes understanding exactly what's going on in a case, understanding what it is that you're trying to sell on behalf of your client, you've really got to drill down to the heart of it. And if you don't have that natural curiosity, it's difficult to drill down to the heart of it. So, I don't know. Ability to speak extemporaneously, diligence, and curiosity. Those are the three things that I was able to come up with extemporaneously in response to your question. All right, next. Tyler Furness. With the announcement of Carson Palmer being inducted into the Cardinals' Ring of Honor, is that a situation where they need to get Carson's permission to use the FaceTime conversation to prevent violating privacy rights? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really know. I don't think Carson's going to sue anybody for using the FaceTime call. I have a feeling that Michael Bidwell said to Carson Palmer, hey, we're going to go ahead and post that on social media. I don't think the Cardinals would be that dumb. Michael Bidwell's a lawyer. He's a former prosecutor. I don't, I don't think that's an issue. I like the creativity, though. I like, you know, you, you have to have, and maybe this is four, if there's a fourth one, you have to have an ability to think creatively about where the problems may be. Because the problems could be for your client or the problems could be something that could be exploited by your client against somebody else. How do the facts twist and turn and fit into the law? Where do these potential legal landmines reside? And has someone stepped on one? Dr. J144, do you know if Steve Kime and Bruce Arians had a falling out, which led to Bruce Arians retiring? Kime hasn't had a good draft in three years, and I wonder if Bruce Arians realized he wasn't getting good players and bailed before the rest of us knew Kime was overrated. I don't know that that had anything to do with it. I, I just think that Arians retired and the Cardinals were ready for him to retire. I don't know that there was a falling out. I just think the Cardinals were ready to go get a new coach. And they weren't, oh, Bruce, no, please, Stow, please stay. They were ready to move on. And, of course, they ended up with a one-and-done Steve Wilkes. And now they're giving Cliff Kingsbury a try. But I don't know that there was a falling out. I think if there was, we'd have heard something by now. Or Arians would have said something somewhere that would have hinted at it. Because Arians doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to keep his mouth shut about that kind of thing. Remember how things ended in Pittsburgh and he was willing to say that Mike Tomlin told him he was getting him a new contract and Tomlin ultimately couldn't deliver and he was pissed off at Tomlin? So the fact, and, and this is just, I think, common sense. The fact, based upon what we know of Arians, the fact that he hasn't indicated there was anything tells me that there isn't anything. And, and some extra pressure and stress was added to the relationship after the fact when the Cardinals tried to get compensation from the Buccaneers. And didn't they do some little piddly deal, the Buccaneers, to get permission to hire Arians because Arians retired with a year left on his contract? If there was any tension there, if there was anything that Arians could point to, you know, oh, you guys, oh, wait a minute, you guys don't get compensation. You're the ones that told me to get the hell out. If there was anything like that, we'd have heard about it by now. 
Dean Osborne, 42. Over, under, on how many games into the season before Le'Veon Bell goes down with an injury due to being away from the game for so long? I'm not a big believer in that. I remember when Jamal Anderson, back in 1999, after the great season for the Falcons, the Dirty Birds, they make it to the Super Bowl. Jamal Anderson has a ridiculous number of touches, has a great, great year. The next year he holds out, shows up, tears an ACL early in the season, and Dan Reeves, the coach of the Falcons, was like, well, that's what happens when you hold out. I don't believe that. You get in shape, and off you go. And it's on the coaches. Here's the thing. It's on the coaches and the trainers to make sure that a guy is ready when he's put on the field. If there's a guy who gets injured because he hasn't played enough, because he hasn't practiced enough, because he isn't ready to be on the field, if he gets injured, then it's on the team for letting him on the field prematurely. Dirtbag1327. Most overinflated news story. The non-existent drama... Let me try this again. Most, let me try this again. More overinflated news story. The non-existing dramatic turn in the Kaepernick case or the underwhelming news from the Cardinals about Carson Palmer in their ring of honor. No, I think with Kaepernick, you had Mark Garrigus on multiple occasions promising that there was some bombshell. Promising this, promising that. And then the last time we heard from him about the case on CNN, promising that he believed some team was going to do the right thing within the next two weeks and sign Kaepernick. Kaepernick's done. Once... We found out, and I had heard very early in the aftermath of the Kaepernick settlement that it wasn't worth nearly as much as I think Mike Freeman had hinted that it was worth, that it's somewhere in the low seven figures, very low seven figures. Well, not between seven and eight, somewhere in the seven figures that no one was going to sign the guy. When they didn't buy out his future employment rights, when they didn't buy a clause under which Kaepernick promised not to seek employment from any NFL teams or to accept employment if offered to him by any NFL teams. When that happened, that told me they're not worried about this guy going forward. And that means they didn't give him enough this time around for them to be even remotely concerned about him filing a claim on the back end for some sort of retaliation. Because he would have a claim for retaliation based upon the fact that he pushed this and won it. And you know what? If Garrigus really does believe that in the aftermath of the settlement, there was kind of a wink nod, somebody's going to sign Kaepernick and no one ever does. And we're, we're at 90-man rosters. 90-man rosters. And not even a hint, not a sniff, not a whiff for Kaepernick. I don't know. Could they file another claim? That would not go over very well from a PR perspective because most people don't understand. Most people think it's over. Why would you be suing again? You'd have to... And look, I think you could make people understand it. There's an ongoing violation. They didn't purchase his his future employment rights. He had the right to still be employed. That settled everything up until the day we signed the agreement. After that, it was on them to do the right thing. Nobody did the right thing. But you know what? There's been no saber rattling. No, I think Kaepernick. I think I think at this point he's just he's content to be done. Now, could that change? I don't know, but I think he's content to be done. Paul PJ5, if the new CBA had three-year rookie contracts, wouldn't that mean players would be restricted free agents and not get their full worth? I agree players should hit the market sooner, but I don't know if three-year rookie deals is the answer. Implicit in what I said last week about three-year contracts for draft picks would be you go to free agency at the end of those three years, not restricted free agency. That would be part of the overhaul of the system. Three-year contracts and you're free after that unless you get franchise tagged, unless the franchise tag goes away. 
burn unit with all the legal drama and fighting between the 49ers and Santa Clara. Could an early divorce be lurking? Santa Clara doesn't want the 49ers and fans would rather them be back in San Francisco, not to mention all of the bad logistics with the stadium. I don't know enough about the lease agreement to know whether or not it would be feasible for the 49ers to exit. But you know what? If the two sides decide they want to exit, they want to divorce, then so be it. But there's too much money there that they're sharing. I mean, even if they don't get along, they're sharing all this money. If the 49ers leave, there's no money for Santa Clara to take. And what would you do with the 49ers? Move them to Oakland? They'd go play in the Coliseum, I guess. They'd go play in the, the Giants ballpark like the Raiders wanted to do, which I, I don't I don't think was real. What could they do? What could the 49ers do? So I I don't I look, it's not a healthy relationship. And I don't know how much of the blame goes to the 49ers. You know, it could be that that the 49ers are to blame here. It could be. It could be that the 49ers are just being overly aggressive. That the 49ers are being, as Maury said in Goodfellas, unconscionable wall breakers. It could be that the 49ers at every turn are trying to get more, more, more. How about this? More. I want more. I want this. I want that. I want this. And they just wear them out to the point where the people in Santa Clara who are running the city are like, will you guys please just leave us alone? My God, I thought this was a partnership. You're trying to take everything you can get. So there's some dysfunction somewhere in there. There's a chance they're both responsible. There's a chance one side's responsible. There's a chance the 49ers are responsible. I don't think we know enough about it yet. And I don't think that there's reason to believe that the two sides are going to decide to part ways because I don't know where the 49ers would go at this point. At the Real Forno, had a friend of mine make mac and cheese on the grill and it turned out way better than expected. Might be something for you to try on your vacation. I will try that. Dirtbag1327, status on the Aaron Rodgers egg challenge with a gif, Jerry Seinfeld. I tell you, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't see it happening either. I don't see it happening either. I called out Chris Sims, who has done it. Rex Chapman, who has told me twice now he will do it. He just hasn't had time. I don't know what his role is with basketball. He said you know, with the, the NBA draft coming up. I really, I don't know. All I know is he's now blocker charge. He's hit the fact that he was a basketball player is an afterthought. He's Mr. Blocker charge, but I don't know what his role is. I really don't. I should know. Is he working for an NBA team? I don't know. Is he in the media? I don't know. All I know is I love his videos. I love his Twitter feed. Aaron Rodgers. I look, I'll, I'll be completely candid. I did it because I knew it was a no lose proposition. Either he does it and I win because I goaded him into doing it, or he doesn't do it, and I always have that. No matter what he tries to say about me, no matter how many times he goes public and says, don't waste your time reading that crap, I called him out to do something to benefit a good cause, and he chose not to do it. He chose not to set aside our petty differences to take care of something that is for a very good cause. So yes, I admit it. Does it make it better? I don't know, but I admit it. Austrian Panther, why not call it main shareholder? This gets to the question of if you do begin referring to people who own professional teams as something other than owners, what would the name be? Main shareholder implies that there are shares of stock to hold. That's the problem. 
I don't think it's always shares. I don't know what the structure of each organization is. You could say primary equity holder. You could say that, but that's a mouthful. I don't know what to do. You know what I did today? I wrote a story about Kevin Warren leaving the Vikings to become the commissioner of the Big Ten. And I quoted from a statement from Ziggy and Mark Wilf. And instead of calling them owners, I said something issued on behalf of the team that they own. So, I, I re- look, I, I'm not... Th- this is not a, a, a task that, that I am readily accepting. I don't know whether or not it's necessary yet. I can see both sides of it. Because owner means they own the team. And we all get that. But when you're talking about a group of owners who are exclusively white and a group of employees who are predominantly African-American, there are some negative connotations there. And it applies in basketball and it applies in football. And if there's an easy way around it, why not just take it? Sims and I were talking about this today on PFTOT. People act like the term politically correct is a bad term. It's not. You're being correct. You're not being an asshole. That's what we agreed to. I don't know how many times I had to bleep us today on PFTOT, but the bottom line is, and the main lesson that allows you to get through life in a semi-successful way is don't be an asshole. Now, look, I am a calculated asshole because, number one, I think it's entertaining, and number two, I think that sometimes the audience wants that candor that goes along with being straightforward and... You know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to act like it's an Alex Jones type of a persona. The things I say, I do believe. But I also recognize that a certain amount of, I, don't, I, I just know from, from consuming radio and TV in this kind of a setting, in this kind of a format, it's a little more compelling when people are pissed off. I used to love it when, and, and I, I would watch Don Imus on MSNBC before he just ridiculously went over the top and got himself kicked off the air. And, you know, people would call in and, and get off my phone and hang up on him. It was great. And he'd get pissed at one of his people. It was great. It was real. He, he was not playing a role. He was a crusty old shit. And it was great. Not that I aspire to be a crusty old shit, but anyway, my point is this. When you're talking about what's right and what's wrong, Political correctness is just a different way of saying don't be an asshole. And I think there are people out there who want to have license to be an asshole. And I think what it comes down to is they don't want to have to think about it. They don't want to have to be sensitive to it. That's where the insensitivity comes from. They just want to say whatever they say. Whatever blind spot they may have. Whatever thing they may say that tramples on someone else's feelings. They don't care. I'm just keeping it real. I... I, political correctness has run amok. I'm just saying what's real. Well, there's a way to say what's real by using terms that that aren't offensive or insensitive. I, look, the Washington nickname, I believe there are enough people out there who are Native Americans who are offended by it that I avoid saying it. It's been five years now, I think six years now. Every once in a while, once every two years, I'll slip up and say it. And... Almost every time that I go to say Raiders, after there was, a, I went through a period 2013, 2014, where it was like I, I almost wasn't going to say Raiders because it was too close when you start it. But I've learned after six years how to avoid saying it. But that for me is very easy. It's a no-brainer. And Washington fans, some of them get very upset. 
that I won't say it. That's the name of the team. Well, that's fine. If I say Washington, you know who I'm talking about. Oh, the University of Washington. All right, smart guy. You know who I'm talking about. See, in this setting, I don't know that anyone's offended by it. I think it's a matter of basic sensitivity and appearances. And if there is another word we could come up with, why not use it? What's wrong with using it? What's the problem? But the thing is, it's got to be an easy word to type and to say. You can't get yourself caught up in this convoluted... Yeah, I remember Al Davis's... What was he? He had like a weird... He had a weird title with the Raiders. He was like the managing general partner or the managing partner of the general partner. It was just some weird thing that like Dwight Schrute, assistant to the regional manager or George Costanza, assistant to the traveling secretary. I mean, I don't want some long convoluted title. I want to be able to get the, get it out. So am I being, I don't know, am I being selfish here? I don't know. I just, I have to be efficient. Owner works. If I can come up with something that is just as easy as owner, that avoids any potential insensitivity that could be inferred or gleaned or whatever, then I'll use it. So that's what we're in the process of trying to figure out. Check writer was the closest I could come up with earlier today. Because that's ultimate. Or no, check signer. Check signer. And you also want to show the appropriate level of deference and respect to these individuals who have acquired these positions. So I, I don't know what you do. The problem with main shareholder... It may not be something that is based on shares. CEO, there may be a CEO who isn't the owner. Woody Johnson owns the Jets. Christopher Johnson is the CEO. Anyway. And and I, I think that I'm intrigued by this conversation because it, it it's just amazing to me that there are people who will be pissed off that we're even having the conversation. It offends them that someone is actually trying to think of a way that would be completely and entirely free from any suggestion of insensitivity. Why should we have to do that? You know how that sounds? Like, why should anyone expect me to expend any additional effort to ensure that there's no chance that anyone will think I'm an asshole? Why should I bother? And therein lies the, the problem. So we're trying to figure it out. And we're we're welcoming any suggestions that anyone may have, and I, I you know I, I'm I'm very interested in it because I, I do see the merit. And if you can come up with an easy and simple way to refer to these individuals who own the football teams, then I'm all for it. Tyler Furness wants to know what my patio drink of choice is. I don't know. Lately, I've been drinking Cuddy and Coke Zero, and I got into Cuddy, and I know Cuddy is cheap. And, and I'm not one to sit around and drink straight scotch, neat or on the rocks. But Cuddy and Coke Zero has a nice taste to it. It's a very different, pleasant surprise the first time I had it. It almost combines to make a little citrusy kick to it. And, and the Cuddy's almost gone. I need to go get another bottle of Cuddy. I like the Cuddy bottle, too. It's a, green, a very well-crafted bottle. It's just a throwback. It reminds me, you know, look, I, you guys have heard me enough times now. Anything that takes me back to the 70s. And just reminds me of growing up with my parents and, you know, being a kid, not worrying about shit and just living your life. They had Cuddy Sark and Canadian Club and J&B and, you know. So I, I have a feeling it's going to be a Cuddy summer. And also, we've got, my father-in-law bought this for me for my birthday four years ago. We got a kegerator that's got two taps. We got Blue Moon and we got Mick Ultra. And we just got a new, a new, uh, mini keg of Mick Ultra and when I'm out 
when I'm out, uh, we're going to, we're going to grill tonight when I'm out there grilling. I like to, I like to have a Mick Ultra or two. So yeah, it's four 30 in the East. I got to get this done. Cause I got to get my workout. If I don't get my workout ahead of time, I'm not going to enjoy the hamburgers as much as otherwise would. If I've already gotten my workout, then I can have the, ha- the pro here's the problem. If I don't work out before I eat, I will eat less because I always recognize there's a chance I may not get the workout in, depending upon how late people stay and whether or not we decide to have a cigar or whatever. If I get the workout in ahead of time, then the problem is I feel like I got blank check to just, you know, gorge. So I want to get the workout in and act like I haven't gotten the workout in. That's the key. That's the psychology. That's the trick that I'm trying to play. I'm trying to play a Jedi mind trick on myself. I'll keep you updated as to whether or not that works out. What else do we have? Mike likes dirt. What's more likely in Kale Harry gets 1,000 receiving yards this year or Rob Gronkowski unretires? More likely, more likely, more likely, hmm, Gronk comes back. I just think it's hard to pick up that Patriots offense right away. And I don't think that Tom Brady is going to trust anyone enough as a rookie to give him that. They're not working together much. Now, I know they're working together away from the facility. They've done some of that. But I, I just I get a feeling when we get to November, Gronk's coming. I just have a feeling. I don't know. I just have a feeling. He doesn't even realize it yet. I just have a feeling. Stephen A. With Todd Gurley being injured after a huge contract, are there going to be more franchise tag for running backs other than Saquon Barkley? Look, I look. Here, here's the thing. Good news for Todd Gurley. He got his big contract before he got injured. Bad news for Rams. They gave him the big contract and now he's not the guy that he was. And they're paying him big money with huge cap consequences if they got rid of him. And if I'm the Cowboys, I'm now less likely to sign Ezekiel Elliott to a long-term deal. And if I'm Elliott, I'm more inclined to hold out and say, I want mine before I become Todd Gurley. See, the thing is, and this is part of the delusion that you have to have in order to be a great football player. You have to think that bad stuff isn't going to happen to you. Oh, Todd Gurley, poor guy. Yeah, it's a shame. His knee swells up. All he has to do is walk down the street and his knee swells up. That ain't going to happen to me. And then it happens to them. And there's somebody else who's following behind. Oh, Ezekiel Elliott, poor guy. Tore his ACL, can't walk right anymore. All those poundings he took, that's not going to happen to me. I think teams who own, or people who own NFL teams get a lot of mileage out of that youthful arrogance that what you can do at 21 or 22 is something you're going to be able to do as long as you want to do it. The Derek Carr philosophy, I'm going to be the quarterback of this team as long as I want to be. I think when owners hear that, when people who own teams hear that, they say, mm-hmm, that's playing right into our hands. Sando Shuffle, have you ever thought of taking calls during PFT or PFTPM? Once upon a time, we took calls during PFT Live. I've never thought about taking calls during PFTPM. I'd rather do it this way, because here's the problem. When you let people call in, you are surrendering your platform to whatever person decides to call up and hijack it. Now, maybe on, I don't, I, I, I don't know. Could we take calls on this? Maybe we could. I'll have to look into that. PFTPM podcast where we actually take calls. Because then I could say, I could take control of it. If somebody's not making any sense, you know, we're not like on live. I mean, hey, hey, all right, enough. I don't know. I'll take that under advisement. That's a nice way of saying, I'm really not interested, but I want to move on. Mallet Todd, what will the Patriots do at tight end now that ASJ is gone? I don't, with the, here's the, with the Patriots, you never know what they're going to do, and then when they do it, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's what I would have done. 
Fittis and Kane about the Adam Humphreys Patriots story. Are there any other high-profile free agents who chose one team over another team they probably would have been better in? I'll also accept of if this is answered in the form of a draft. Yeah, I don't. I'd have to think about it. Well, you've got free agents. See, usually the money is what draws them. The money will draw them to a team that that seems like less of a fit. Well, you know, it would have been better to go to the Patriots, but he's going to make a lot more money with the Titans. Now, with Adam Humphreys, I think the reality is he's a slot receiver, and he'd been stuck behind Julian Edelman in New England. I don't know why he pulls Tom Brady in his 42 years of age into this. If I was Brady, I'd call a guy up and I'd say, first of all, Adam Humphreys, who are you? Second of all, don't put my name in your mouth. Third, who are you? That's what I would say if I were Tom Brady. J. Randall, 15. I'm looking for a good mafia book. What do you recommend? Tyler Furness follows by saying, you should already know this, Josh. Yes, Josh, if you've been listening to me, Nicholas Pileggi, wise guy. If you like Goodfellas, you will love wise guy. If you love Goodfellas, you will want to read wise guy twice. You will finish it and want to read it again. And then the other one is called Five Families. I don't know the author, but I can tell you because I've been reading it right here on my cell phone device. Let's see. Let's see. Five Families by Selwyn Rab, R-A-A-B. Long book. It's one of those books, and, and I really don't like this. I like a book that grabs you from page one. I don't like a book where you've got to have the discipline to get through the first third of it. And then once you get through that, there's a payoff. Because how many people don't get through the first third of it? That's what this book was like for me. It was it was just it just was kind of it like read too much like a like um, a textbook. There's a way to write that is engaging and that holds the reader in. And I've learned that over the years. I mean, 20 years of writing these blurbs, you try to get people to want to read the next paragraph. And the thing about writing a book, you want people to read the next page. So you write the first page in a way that entices them to flip to the next page. And you write that page in a way that entices them to read on the other side of the page. And you write that page in a way to get them to flip to the next page. I did a lot of page flipping on this Five Families book before it finally got good. It's good, but I almost gave up on it. Dean Osborne, 42. Why did Ditka not give Peyton a touchdown in Super Bowl 20? Always thought that was such a slap in the face for one of the best players in NFL history. How about a draft of the biggest travesties in NFL history? I think we've done something like that in the past. I can't remember. And I don't know. I, I, I mean, It was a big controversy. It was a big deal. People were pissed off about it. The refrigerator got a touchdown that game, but not Walter Payton. Gong Show West, in case this is the last PFTPM of the week, happy birthday on Saturday. From the time you were a kid to the present, which birthday party did your friends or family throw for you is the one that is the most memorable? That is an interesting question. I haven't had a ton of birthday parties. I mean, I remember having them as a kid. Like, you know, there's cake and there's presents and I don't, I, I just, I don't have a lot of active memories of that. 50, which will be four, the fourth anniversary of my 50th birthday is coming up. The 50th birthday four years ago, that was the first one where we had settled into the house and my, my brother-in-law turns 53, or he turned 53 weeks after I did. He's, he's three weeks younger than me. And of course, that three weeks that I am one number higher than him, he never lets me hear the end of it. But we did like a combined thing and we had a nice little spread. And I, I, I remember that. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I, I don't know. I, uh, 
you get to a certain age where it's not about being happy that you're another year older because there's no reason to be happy about that. Now I sound like Jerry Seinfeld when he decided not to be funny for the, uh, um, the woman that George was going out with, that George was afraid that Jerry was going to be funny. So Jerry started becoming very serious and he talked about birthdays. He had to, didn't he have to wish somebody happy, have something about happy birthday or, and, and he just got very dark Happy birthday, no such thing. Just a reminder, we're another year older and we've not accomplished anything. (laughs) You know, I look at it this way. It's an occasion to celebrate the fact that you have made it another year without dying. I I look at it that way because, and, and, you know, I'm not a big Mitch Album fan, but I remember reading Tuesdays with Maury back when I was 32, 33, had a son, and, and it, it just gives you a great perspective because the reality is we're all on this same track. Everybody who's ever lived is on the same track. Everybody who ever lives will be on this same track. Everybody gets to be one. Everybody gets to be two. Everybody gets to be three, right? You do the whole ride unless the ride gets ended prematurely. So from my perspective, every year now is an occasion to celebrate making it another spin around the sun, surviving another year, getting closer and closer to defying the mortality rate for American males. You know, of all the things that we should shoot for in life, it is to live longer than we're supposed to. So, I I am happy to report that I am now within 23 years of living as long as I'm supposed to live. And then after that, each year will be a celebration of defying that. At some point, I am keenly aware that, that just, you know, I don't know, I just try to have the right attitude about it. Because we all live and we all die. We can either not think about it. I think a lot of people just choose not to think about it. That's how they get through life. Because if they think about it all the time, it would drive them nuts. I've just tried to be very pragmatic and practical about it. Everybody lives, everybody dies. That's the way it goes. What does Russell Crowe say in Gladiator? Death smiles at every man. The only thing you can do in return is smile back. So... I'm not looking forward to the day that I have to smile back, but I remember being very aware of this when I was like 18. I remember having a conscious thought that I, it was something. It was it was the long before YOLO or FOMO were a thing. I think this was more of a YOLO than a FOMO. It's like we're going to be dead in 100 years. Who cares? I remember thinking that when I was 18. Like there was some question about what were we going to do or. You know, we're going to spend like 20 bucks when I didn't have 20 bucks to spend, or I had 21 to spend and I was going to spend 20. It's like, oh, we're going to be dead in 100 years. Who gives a shit? So, you know, and and I, that doesn't mean I'm an advocate of like living life irresponsibly, but, you know, it's part of the perspective. So I'm happy to be turning 54. I'm happy to have made it 54 years. I'm happy to have a full head mostly of hair. Not that. The hair isn't mine. It's just not, you know, the hairline has moved a little bit in the last 30 years. Not much. It is all my hair. I swear on my real hair that this is my real hair. But thank you, Gong Show West. I don't know what I'm going to do this weekend, but I plan to relax. I plan to smoke a cigar. A cigar. I plan to drink some Cuddy Sark. And I plan to uh, celebrate the fact that I've made it yet another year without dying although i still got four more days before i can say that on tour forever 
Do you think there'll be any surprising trades during the offseason? Who would be most likely to get moved? I mean, there's this buzz about whether or not Carl Rudolph ends up going to the Patriots. That's the one that I'm paying attention to now. I think most of the trades that, that were going to happen have happened. But as we get into training camp and teams who think they have their rosters and depth charts set and they realize maybe we need to tweak, maybe we need to twist, maybe we need this guy, maybe we need that guy, maybe we need to make a move, that's when things get interesting. Quarterback could be... You know, an injury. All it takes is one injury. Who would have dreamed Sam Bradford being traded to the Vikings in 2016? But for the Teddy Bridgewater injury, it wouldn't have happened. Ricardo Hines, why didn't the Bears pursue Steven Goskowski more aggressively instead of doing their kicker competition? I think in hindsight, they probably wish they had. They, they, wanted, to, they wanted to get a kicker cheap. And, you know, the thinking is there's so many kickers out there, you should be able to get a guy who can kick cheap. The problem is all the guys they bring in can't kick. Sean Alvishire, where do you stand on The Sopranos? I like The Sopranos. Now, I watched most of it like when it was on A&E. So you didn't get the full, you know, experience of all the F-words. But I'm fine with it. And and I've always believed that when the screen cuts to black at the end of the series, he got whacked. I don't know why there was even a, a controversy about that. That's what happened. He got whacked. And from his perspective, that's it. It's done. I don't know how many years he, he got to make it. On, he didn't make it to the he didn't make it as long as he should have on tour forever what do you think of the Bears possible throwback uniform as shown at UniWatch we talked about this earlier this week I'm, I'm convinced that these jerseys are the throwbacks the 1936 Bears uniform I'm convinced of it it looks too legitimate to be a fake and you know it's impossible to keep these things secret until they're unveiled because the NFL doesn't want to have a lag you don't want to unveil them on a Friday and then authorize the shipments from Nike to all of the sporting goods stores. You want them on the shelves. You want people to go straight to the sporting goods store and buy these things. So somebody at the Algonquin, Illinois, Dick Sporting Goods put the jerseys out prematurely. Oops. So, yeah, I like them. I like them. Curious to see what the Packers are going to wear, but I like these. At... Coach of Humma, are we? Are you subtweeting Joel Nine One for talking about grass? What are you talking about? I haven't. I I support everything that he stands for when it comes to legalization of marijuana and removal of the stigmatization. Stigmatization? That's right, right? I think that's right. Not like gambleize. I think is that what Sims said today? Gambleize. Uncle Larry 112, what's your take on the judge and the concussion settlement removing all of the class counsel law firms except for Chris Seeger's firm? I don't really have a take on it because I haven't followed the the nuts and bolts of it enough. Because here's the thing, I'm going to be, I'm going to completely candid. It People don't care about it. It's hard for me to spend time following it because ultimately I'm not here to, to, to follow the things that that I think you should care about. I'm here to follow the things that I know you care about. And not enough people care about these inner workings of the concussion settlement. They just don't care. So if I have a finite amount of time that I can spend tracking down stories, understanding stories, advancing stories, I'm going to gravitate toward the things that I know you care about. And at as of right now, there's nothing that's come out of the concussion settlement that a broad number of people care about period. And, and and that's just, look, that's how you stay in business. Newspapers didn't die just randomly, right? There wasn't some asteroid that hit and killed all the newspapers. There's a lack of sensitivity to what it takes to get people to read your stuff. 
And for newspapers, it was a refusal to accept the transition to digital. But fundamentally, you have to be giving people what they want, not what you think they should want. Too many people in this business waste their time writing stories that they think people should want. And then they write this long story and other people who are employed as reporters will do the golf clap and say, well done, bravo, oh, 10,000 words. I'm not going to read it, but oh, I'm impressed, 10,000 words. The audience doesn't care. You got to give the audience something that they want. And you know what? If you don't like that, then get out. Just get out. It's that simple. You either understand the way that the world works. The audience wants certain things and you either give it to them and thrive or you fail to give it to them and fail. It's that simple. All right, I got to wrap this up. Um, all right, nothing else. No other questions. Well over an hour today. Didn't expect to go that long. Only had four topics, but some great questions. Thank you for all your questions. I may not do another one the rest of the week. I got to do a little traveling. Oh, this, hopefully this traveling doesn't uh, infringe upon my ability to make it to 54. Boy, this is really going to be morbid. You know, if I should die before Saturday, man, this is one of those, this is one of those that may let, hey, this may get some good numbers. Somebody's going to make some money off of this one. It won't be me. I'll be dead. On that happy note, everybody, until we meet again, possibly on the other side, woo, maybe I'll haunt somebody, right? Didn't Harry Houdini vow that he was going to, like, communicate from the grave? Hey, I'm not even going to try that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not that delusional to think that I can defy the space-time continuum or whatever the wall is between the living and the dead. I'm just hoping to make it until Saturday. If I make it till Saturday, the size of the cigar... And the amount of Cuddy Sark that I will consume on Saturday has just gotten exponentially larger to the point where I may not make it to Sunday. Thanks for your ongoing support of PFTPM, PFT Live. Tomorrow, 6 a.m. Eastern, NBC Sports Radio. Simulcast begins 7 a.m. Eastern on NBCSN. Check us out all night long at ProFootballTalk.com. Have a great day. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.